Welcome back to Series Regular, the Hollywood Reporter's all-in podcast on genre television, currently focused on Watchmen. And this week, we are talking Season 1, Episode 6, This Extraordinary Being, directed by Stephen Williams, co-written by Damon Lindelof and Cord Jefferson, starring Michael Murphy from The Leftovers himself, Giovanna Depo, Antonio Mazzaro, who is, uh, I know, a huge fan of The Leftovers, or at least I hope you are, given the fact that you and I have podcasted about every single episode of the leftovers in our past <laughs> what an exciting uh, what an exciting thing and what a wild hour of the show uh, groundbreaking in many ways and we are really expressing the themes of, of what's at play here in Watchmen this feels like a turnkey big reveal type of episode for us here this week it was it, yeah it was an incredibly well constructed episode of television in a nine episode season it is fascinating that we're going to do a full detour essentially in the past but so much of this show is about legacy and about what's in your blood and about what's in the past and about how those things get passed forward that it makes sense that we would spend this time. Additionally, it makes a lot of sense that we would fill in the blanks of what is ultimately the Angela Abar story, all of her people, where she is from, the legacy that their family has, and it's in her blood. So she she, she has to take the nostalgia to get to it, but it is it makes a ton of sense that we would ultimately see this at this point in the season, considering what we've gone through so far uh, and how she's been confronting those issues and how that's been such a theme throughout. So really just a really well-constructed, brave episode of television. Thought it was fantastically directed, acted. Everything across the board was a home run for me on this one. Absolutely agreed. And uh, very informative this week as we are, uh, we're, we're solving a central mystery here on Watchmen, the HBO series. And it is also deeply tied into a central mystery or at least a lingering mystery from Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons' Watchmen graphic novel, and that is the identity of Hooded Justice, the masked crime fighter at the heart of American Hero Story, which is the fictional show within this fictional show, Hooded Justice being the first masked crime fighter on the record credited as the start of the superhero wave that leads to the formation of the Minutemen. We get to see the formation of the Minutemen this week, but we also get to peek underneath the hood, and much as has been speculated it is indeed will reeves the lewis gossett jr character played here by Giovanna depo i've got a great interview up with him at thr.com slash watchman right now as well as an interview with cord jefferson who co-wrote this episode hailing from the good place cord jefferson uh, asked both of them since cord jefferson said he was a big the leftovers fan antonio i asked both him and uh Giovanna depo what they thought of a certain story at the end of the leftovers oh did a, you went there did a certain person lie or tell the truth no spoilers for the leftovers here on this podcast but if you've watched the show you know what i'm talking about that was a really fun part of those conversations also have an interview up with steven williams depending on when you're listening to this that's posting on monday morning so lots of content based around this episode of course thr.com slash watchman for all of that subscribe to series regular as well if you have not done so already on your podcast app of choice and you can be interacting with antonio and i on twitter i'm at round howard antonio is at ac Mazzaro. Your ratings and reviews for this podcast are greatly appreciated. Antonio, Will Reeves is hooded justice. What are your reactions to this? 
not surprised, but also very satisfied. Uh, you could see this in the beginning of the show. Uh, from the early moments of the podcast, we've been speculating about this and talking about it. The show has put it, the connective tissue here in the DNA, with the PDpedia, the supplemental materials that they provide with the show, talking about how Hooded Justice was active in New York at the same time we know Will Reeves was a cop in New York. It all fits. It connects together. But what we see in this episode, of course, is why it fits. We see why it makes sense. We see where that anger comes from. We understand uh, why Will Reeves may have been motivated to become what he became. It is in Angela's blood, as I've said throughout this, to be a masked vigilante, apparently, to be a law officer who also has another identity and fights crime. This, this is her legacy, and she didn't even know it. So it's funny how that works out, right? That you end up being something that maybe you were always meant to be without you ever realizing you were meant to be it. And the why of why he is hooded justice is far more interesting to me than the fact that he is hooded justice. I'm wondering, Josh, how do you think this may have played for people who weren't really tracking the hooded justice mystery from the comics? As you said, this is a mystery that's introduced in the Watchmen comic. It is something certainly that the show has played upon, even having characters in the background. Last episode speculating that Dr. Manhattan is hooded justice. Uh, it's been there from the beginning of this show with the American hero story focusing on hooded justice. And yet, I do wonder if this is as big of an answer uh, for the people that are just watching the show or how you think that might play. I think it's going to be a big answer because it's a big answer about Will Reeves. Like, I think that that's the big important thing. Right. That it's a big important reveal about the man in the wheelchair and and yes, it does seem that, in a manner of speaking at least, he did kill Judd Crawford. Poor Judd is dead because Will, Judd. Will Reeves uh, was able to, to lure him into hanging himself. Mesmerism. Yeah, mesmerism indeed. We're going to have to talk about the ramifications of that. So I think it's, it's less about the reveal of who Hooded Justice is and more about the reveal of who Will Reeves is and what's his backstory and connecting him closer to Sister Knight, his granddaughter, in this way that they are both people who who have worn masks and fought crime under that guise. They're both people who've painted their face, I thought was a really compelling way of connecting them stylistically. Of course, Will is painting his face so that he presents as a white man because it's great, great stuff in the interviews with both Cord Jefferson and Giovanna Depo talking about like, oh, well, no one's going to bat an eye at a white man fighting justice as a crime fighter, but a black man in 1930s New York, that's not going to play so well. That's very much at play in the telling of this story, I think, in a in a really, really um, compelling way. So I think as it relates to Will, I think that that's, that's where it's really going to pop. But American Hero Story has been in the background this whole season so far, right? Like it's been, it's literally been on billboards. It's been on airships. It's been on the television. It's been in conversation. It's water cooler conversation. Even at the Tulsa PD, while people are still reeling from the death of the police chief, they still have time to speculate as to who Hooded Justice actually is. Uh, <laughs> so it's been on the mind of the show. And these two things colliding, I think, makes a lot of sense. And I think as far as treatment of the source material, you know, Damon Lindelof is front and center uh, being the person on this team of writers saying that this is a holy text for, for Damon Lindelof. Watchmen is foundational to his storytelling across Lost, The Leftovers, everything in between. And he did not want to tinker with the source material too much. Hooded Justice is never identified in the comic book. There are a lot of theories about who Hooded 
hooded justice is, which is a big part of why he's being explored in this fictional show within Watchmen. Uh, he's a very compelling figure within the universe because there's still so much mystery surrounding him, and he just like disappears in the 1950s. We still don't know what that's all about, even after knowing everything we know about Will Reeves in this episode. But I think that it's it's the kind of thing where it's it's not like. Rorschach is secretly alive. You know, it's like, it's not like a big twist like that. Like, it's not something that is taking something that is so sacred within the Watchmen graphic novel and using it on in the context of the show. Hooded Just is an important character in the mythology of the comic, but he's not like a central character in the comic. So I, I like it. I think no harm, no foul. And in fact, I think it's a really compelling idea. And it's very clearly a central idea for this vision for the show. Cord Jefferson talked to me about the fact that one of the very first things that Damon Lindelof said once the writer's room assembled was, I want to make Hooded Justice a black man. And they worked from there. That was a central idea coming into this season of Watchmen. And a lot of the story that we have seen as a result comes from that uh, story idea. Definitely. And for me, it works really well because it is an answer to that, as you're saying, but it is also the Will Reeves, as you're saying. Uh, but really the part that works best for me and what I think was so masterful about the way the episode was made is how it connects to Angela and put, putting Angela in that story, having her be part of it. You mentioned that they both paint their eyes and he paints his white and the whole 1938 black man fighting crime of it all. She makes hers darker. Her eyes are darker on her face. Uh, so Sister Knight is definitely projecting some kind of darkness. So we heard, for example, uh, Lori in the la a couple episodes ago saying, you put a mask on to mask some pain, to hide pain. Somebody, You've got a problem if you're wearing a mask. We understand Will Reeves' problem. But I, I just really was fascinated uh, by how we managed to work Regina King as Angela Abar into these memories. Uh, the nostalgia was very strong. So she was clearly in a coma at one point, And we don't know ultimately how she ends up with Lady True. But what we do know is that she vividly lived those memories. It was her eyes under Hooded Justice's mask when Hooded Justice froze as he was jumping out of that market scene. It was her throughout uh, shaking hands or just watching, handing Judd the, the noose. All of this was Angela throughout, uh, even though we weave back and forth uh, with, with young Will and Angela. I just... I thought seating her in the middle of the story made it not just about the Hooded Justice reveal and not just about Will Reeves and his backstory, but also so significantly about Angela that I, I just thought it was masterful, the way those three things almost braided together to form one thing that, that really stepped forward and, and showed, I think, what this show at its best can be. We as you note, have talked about The Leftovers, and we've talked about every episode of The Leftovers, and The Leftovers has some episodes in it that just go completely off the board, just go crazy. International Assassin, of course, is top of mind in this regard, and they're, they're real high concept. They do a thing, and they do it really well. This, as far as Watchmen, Watchmen in and of itself is a high concept show. This was an extremely high concept episode, uh, having a character on pills that are giving her another character's memories, and the other character is related to her, but also related to the original graphic novel. All of those things are going on. It's a high-wire act. They executed it. I just so, 
so impressed with everybody involved with this episode for sure. It's also really fun, like the moments where you are taken out of the dream, right? Like there's that there's that great right. there's that great moment where Hooded Justice is doing like his first big superhero mission. Not talking about the crime fighting scene in the alleyway, uh, but talking about the market, which as as you noted to me before we got on the air, that's direct like the scenery of the market. The market itself is like fully, perfectly, authentically replicated for the American hero story version of events from a couple of episodes back so at least they got that right historically even if they right. weren't quite as uh close to the mark with their cheyenne jackson casting of uh <laughs> of hey listen he is a ryan murphy regular right it's true he is so i mean i think uh the american horror story american hero story connection really tracks but that that fight scene in this episode of when hooded justice goes through the window and then like almost like the matrix bullet time style right like we stop and uh, now it's Angela, and she's hanging in the air. And here comes Lori, basically like knocking on the glass, being like, "Hey, are you all right? Are you okay in there? Like, you've taken nostalgia. Do you know what you've done?" <laughs> and yeah. blink twice for yes, once for no. Uh, You're in a coma, and your eyes are open. It's pretty it's weird, pretty honestly. Weird. <laughs> it's pretty weird. And even Cal gets in on it and is speaking to her, and she seems to be able to process it, but she's still uh, she's still caught in all of the memories. It was great because the the episode feels very real on a lot of levels. Like the awfulness of humanity is on full display in this episode in a way that feels powerfully real. The lynching scene is disgusting and disturbing. And so much of that, uh, of the success of those emotions draws from the fact that it's it's very POV driven, right? Like you're really in it when Hooded Justice, when Will is getting uh, is getting lynched and then he gets cut down. It's terrifying. It's horrible. It just it's it makes you feel so sick and you're just in his head for all of that. But you're Angela in his head, too. And you need to process that as well, because you ask the question of like, how is this reveal going to land with the audience? And I think we've talked about how that's going to be the case. But it's also really important to start thinking about how is all this going to land with Angela? Because Sister Knight is still our number one eyes and ears, boots on the ground in Watchmen. This is an ensemble piece to a degree, but Regina King front and center. And by the end of the episode, she's awake. Seems like she's awake in Lady True's custody, which is exciting. And who knows where that's going to go because we know Will Reeves' last scene in the modern day alongside Lady True. What is she going to think about her grandfather now with both the context of, of who he was and and who he is historically within this world and therefore that what that means for who she is historically in this world, but also now having the confirmation that she led her friend Judd to his death, that she ordered his right. execution. She, you know, he marked him directly in league with the Cyclops, which as far as we know is an organization that existed in the 1930s of the Watchmen universe. I think a little TBD as to the the historical significance of, of Cyclops in our world, but Angela's going to have a lot of questions. And with only three episodes left on the board for this season of Watchmen and potentially for the series of Watchmen, there's a lot of business that needs to be paid now. Definitely. And you said the episode was so real. It was also surreal. And those two things blending together, the reality of what Will Reeves experienced in the surreal way that Angela experienced it, I think they're also going to mess with Angela's head. Last week on PDpedia, one of the entries was a medical flyer about nostalgia. And there is a huge section about the possible side effects of nostalgia uh, and why you shouldn't take another's nostalgia pills. This is I'm going to read this like the lawyer that I am. 
In rare cases, nostalgia may exacerbate symptoms of anxiety, depression, forgetfulness, dementia, and suicidal ideations. In such instances, stop using nostalgia and seek alternative treatment. Overdosing on nostalgia might trigger one, some, or all of the following. Cardiac arrest, respiratory distress, sleeping sickness, catatonia, psychic looping, incessant weeping, laughing or screaming, random or irregular erections, random or irregular vaginal wetness, involuntary orgasms, explosive flatulence or diarrhea, kidney, liver and colon failure, and the complete collapse of the autoimmune system. Wow, that's your lawyer voice? <laughs> I don't know. That's, yeah. yeah. I rest my case, Your Honor. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, so there's a lot of these, like, it says the most common side effects include halitosis, leakage, deja vu. It erodes the boundary between self and other if you take someone else's nostalgia and catalyzes hyperactive empathy or extreme fight-flight responses. It causes profound aphasia, temporal disorientation, emotional triggering, and paranoia, and may also produce lasting conditions and disorders like mania, hypersensitivity, lingering hallucinations, confused or altered altered consciousness, disassociative fugue, psychosis, schizophrenia, or permanent memory or identity loss. So this is the Angela that we're going to figure out uh, how this is the Angela we're dealing with in the next few episodes. Somebody who has all of those things on the table. I hope the explosive flatulence does not come to bear, uh, but it <laughs> right. certainly could. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, she could go into a fugue state. Some new superpowers on the menu here. Yeah. <laughs> Sister Knight, indeed. Yes. Uh, yeah, we could absolutely see some of these things happening. So it's not just going to be, I don't think, how she comes to grips with it. I'm interested to know how she ended up with Lady True because, of course, the story, the meta story of what Angela is experiencing throughout the episode is what we see on screen. But as you're pointing out, she's sometimes pulled out of that. We see Lori desperately trying to get her to sign a waiver so they can pump her stomach and get the pills out of her. That doesn't happen as far as we know. We hear later in the middle of the episode the scene you described where I loved seeing Regina's, Regina King's eyes through that hooded justice mask uh, in the blinking. And Lori says, you're in a coma, and Cal is reading to her. And then when she wakes up at the end of the episode, she's with Lady True. So did she die? Did Lori eventually say, look, this is a true product. Lady True's here. We're going to take her there. Was this Will Reeves's plan all along? That's the other thing, Josh. We know from a couple of episodes ago that Will Reeves really wanted Angela to get these pills, presumably to take them. Mission accomplished, I guess. Was this the plan all along? Yeah, I think it, it makes sense to me, right, that he wanted her to know who he is. He kept mentioning the pills. They help with my memory. He brings the message through Lady True to Angela. Angela, did you get the pills? The old man wants to know if you got the pills. Uh, she got them. So I would I would expect that this is what he wanted. My question is, you know, at the end of episode four, when Will Reeves is revealed to be at least in some capacity in league with Lady True, he says, Angela's going to know in a few days what I've done and she'll hate me for it. Is that something that is still to come? Or does that reflect what he feels she's going to feel about him once she knows that he's hooded justice once she knows that he killed judd crawford good question because what we talked about last episode is the open question as to whether what was going on with the senator and the cavalry was oppositional to or in league with what was happening with lady true who we also know tick tock tick tock has their own thing going on 
I'm not sure. It, it seems like maybe it's possible now that the TikTok TikTok was Will Reeves waiting to take those pills and waiting to see Angela. And yet he seemingly killed Judd Crawford for a reason. I don't think that this was just an accidental murder where he was exacting some justice with the Cyclops uh, situation top of mind. Uh, I think that there was a time and a reason that this happened. I think that the Millennium Tower is there for a reason, not just to tell time. So I, I speculate that it's probably his... Uh, she's going to hate me in a few days when she sees what I've done, maybe related to Judd Crawford, but they may also still have some upcoming plan that maybe they needed Angela to have experienced all of this to get on board with. Yeah, I think that that's possible. I think the other thing, too, you mentioned like the fugue state that Angela could awaken to <laughs> because she's, you know, she's just got, a, you know, a huge dose of Will Reeves's memories in her. But it's important to think about where she wakes up, right? Like she wakes up with Lady True at the end of the episode. And we saw just a couple of episodes earlier, Lady True's daughter, who had a nightmare about that that sounded pretty vividly like it was one of Lady True's memories, right? And she was like hooked up to an IV and everything. Is Lady True capable of basically bringing Angela back to herself, right? Like, is she able to to bring Angela's memories back into Angela? I think that when we get Angela in a fuller context in the immediate future, I expect that she's going to be pretty ready to to pound the pavement the way that she is as Sister Knight. Maybe with some wooziness, maybe with some new context. Certainly, I think it's not going to be lost on her the significance of the fact that her grandfather is freaking hooded justice. Uh, you know, one of the founders superheroes of this universe that's a lot he's on billboards uh you know she's gonna have to deal with that but i think that she's gonna be pretty close to her her regular self aside from that when we see her next yeah they're making a tv show about his lover cheating on him with j edgar hoover he's a star uh -huh. uh, he is somebody who is known the characters in this universe know who this person is she now knows that that's her grandfather and like i said has to come to grips with the fact that she chose a very similar path without even realizing it, that she walked right into it. And so the question about legacy really does become one uh, with Judd Crawford talking about how it's my granddaddy's and that's my history and I'm allowed to be aware of that. That's my past. I'm allowed to, to have that. You know, I don't have to, or I, you know, and, and Will Reese asked him, why do you hide it? Uh, and that's a separate question. But he is aware of his legacy and it's complicated for sure. And now Angela knows that, that her legacy is complicated and that the choices that she's made uh, were not informed by, uh, but certainly do rest upon the fact that everything that came before her is, is sort of linked to what's going on, not to just to her hometown, but directly to her family. We have seen her coming to grips with a lot of these stories throughout the season. This is certainly a massive, massive moment in that. It is a thing that... Just as I said, so well orchestrated from the moment that we see the very first moments of this season play out repeatedly throughout the course of this episode. We see uh, Will Reeves's mother playing the piano and we see and we remember how all that happens. She is present playing that piano throughout as though that memory is present throughout his memories in his life. Uh, that's a memory within a memory when Angela is, has taken these nostalgia pills and she's seeing scenes in a tenement with uh, June and young Will Reeves as they're the beginning of their relationship and 
we see Will Reeves' mother in the back playing the piano. I don't think this is because Angela is remembering Will Reeves' mother. I think it's because Will Reeves was in that moment, that those scenes, those things of his life, they were never far from his memory. When we see the horrible racist cops drive away after they've just sarcastically offered to give him a ride home, which we know was a setup, we see what Will Reeves sees behind their car, bodies being dragged, because he's remembering what those people and those sentiments were like when he saw them firsthand in Greenwood. So on like a gut level almost on even. a gut level yeah. exactly. Because that that's something that is something that Cord Jefferson mentions in in the interview that you've already touched on here in the podcast that this is an episode that reveals a core theme of the show, which is this idea of generational trauma. And that is something that has been outright expressed in words on this show already. Think back to to last week uh and the the extra dimensional anxiety meeting and the person there who's confessing that they weren't alive yet during the great squidening of 1985 but they felt their mother's trauma through their entire life and can that be passed down and this episode is positing that yeah very much so generational trauma exists very much so you can be wronged so deeply in your past so far back that maybe it didn't happen specifically to you maybe it happened to your grandparents and because of what happened to your grandparents they lived their lives a certain way and then their parent then their children did who are your parents and they lived their lives a certain way now you're living your life a certain way and you really feel that in that moment where where will is watching that car drive off and it it merges with the Greenwood incident, with the Tulsa riots. I think that that's just cinematically, it's really, really brilliant in how it's expressing the themes of the show. And that's certainly the persuasive reasoning behind the case for reparations to begin with, which we know was very influential on the creation of this show and why the show is about what it's about and why it is using the lens of Watchmen to tell this particular story. We have serious as a country legacy trauma that we have not corrected in such a way. And as a result, we have institutionalized so much of the trauma. It is I think, impossible to ignore the fact that this trauma can be passed from generation to generation and that it can manifest in significant and insidious ways, like ways that we don't necessarily even think about, that we just look around and we could find or identify. So it is obviously a theme of this show. It is something that the show has been outright about with the cultural center in Greenwood and everything that's going on with the Redfordations and characters talking about them throughout the course of the show. But it is also, as we're talking about here being presented in subtle ways. It was subtle, for example, I'm assuming now that Lady True's daughter was taking a dose of nostalgia uh, when she was remembering what happened in Vietnam, marching so long, burning villages. Those memories are being directly passed on to her through some form of medication that Lady True is giving her. But they're certainly present, uh, in, as far as trauma goes, generationally. The way that uh, those events make people feel, they change the way people live. And because they change the way people live, they change the way that the people who grow up around them live. It was a very meaningful scene to me when we saw young Marcus Abar painting his eyes just like his dad. He wanted to be just like his dad. He put the noose around his neck. He's painting his eyes up, and his father was so upset, and he tried to you know, he tried to wipe the makeup right off of his face. Don't be like me. Don't do this. It's getting passed on. Whether he intended to pass it on or not, it's there. And so, of course, it made its way through to Angela. It makes all the sense in the world. That's the world we actually live in. So even though Watchmen is a very stylized version of our world, it makes all the sense that, that this is the, the world we live in. So, of course, it's the world they live in. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's just a um 
just a really just so significantly impressive job a, that a all the people remarkable involved. episode of television yeah, yeah let alone really, let really. alone of watchmen just of, of of tv this is just a yep. a really remarkable hour what do you make of the arrival of june we had wondered about the baby what about the baby as matt damon <laughs> would say at the end of the departed the baby uh that that will read uh, well there could be worse spoilers for the Departed. i'll say what vera farmiga says. <laughs> which is nothing i guess that's a spoiler as well uh but going back to Watchmen, if we can the third man uh that will reeves at the end of that first sequence in the pilot he's alone with with the with the baby and he's you know comforting her and we come to find out in this episode that that's june right june being um will's will's wife by the end of this played by uh, danielle deadweiler is the name of the actress who plays this character what did you make of her like kind of like Sort of like the Alfred to to Will Reeves' Batman? <laughs> yeah, it. she said that. She said at some point, you have us. You don't need a team. You have us. And she definitely expressed some misgivings later in the episode about pushing him down the way. She said, I thought this might help you get over what you were doing with, but clearly I don't think you're ever going to get you're ever gonna get rid of it. So she definitely did enable him. She was the Alfred to his Batman in, in a way. But she was also, I really like the, the justified connection when she says... You know, she didn't say you're the angriest man I've ever met, but she said you're an angry, angry man. And I'm worried not not about you being out there. Uh, and I'm worried about what will happen to you. I'm worried about what will happen to the other people because they're giving you a nightstick. Like you're so angry that I don't know what's going to come. She predicts hooded justice in a way in the first scene that we see between the two of them when they're at the bar uh, at the club after he has been uh, sworn in as a police officer she predicts it all but then she also definitely aids and abets it uh, she's the one for example who says you're gonna have to paint your eyes white she's the one that's identifying that and she says, you know, all those town folks in the Bass Reeves story were white. That was fine for the movie. But if you remember what happened to you and your early days, it was white people that burned that town down. So if you want to be hooded justice on the streets here, you're going to need to be white. So it is her helping him throughout. And yet there reaches a point where he has gone too far. It's hard for me to tell exactly how much time passes in the course of this episode. Clearly, a, a period of years passes because we see in just a phenomenally executed sequence where the camera slowly moves around the tenement where they are living and uh, it just one one scene uh, she's pregnant in the kitchen and then it gets to the doorway and the child is running through and then we get back to the desk and the child is there like it is just really really well executed how time passes throughout this but definitely a period of years has passed certainly at least three or four I think I think that that sounds about right to me as well, because I I don't know how long Hooded Justice is operating on his own before he gets approached by Captain Metropolis and the Minutemen. Did you did you feel like you wanted to see more Minutemen action in this episode? Were you were you left wanting more of that, or were you happy enough to just kind of focus down on Will Reeves? We certainly get a whole lot of Captain Metropolis. We we definitely get a whole lot of Captain Metropolis, who reminded me of Mark Evan Jackson. I thought we were in the bad place from the uh, for a minute <laughs> yes. there. Oh, yeah, that's funny. Um, 
I thought we were. But uh, no, I. it's funny because I'm sure there are fans of the graphic novel who would say, well, these are formative events. We've read about them. These are press conferences. We've seen some of these things. I'd like to see more of that. And yet I know that that is also therein lies madness, right? Like here be dragons. This is a very difficult thing where if you start to show those scenes and you really get into them and you start to give us versions of those characters in a more significant way beyond Captain Metropolis, then you're wading into territory where you're you're going to get sideways with a lot of people from the graphic novel. So it is definitely risky territory as a fan of the graphic novel. I didn't feel like I needed to see anything more. By that point, I was so caught up in what I was watching that I didn't need any more. Did you feel like something was missing? Would you have preferred to see some more there from some of these characters that we know so well? No, I thought that one of the things that was really great about it and very watchman about it was this idea that Captain Metropolis says to Will, you're going to have to wear your mask around everybody because not even the Minutemen are going to be able to tolerate the fact that you're a black man. You know, like that that is something that like even within these people who are being tasked with keeping New York safe in a way that the police cannot, that even they are comprised of of racists or people who are not able to get past their biases or who will not bend away from from cultural norms at that period of time in the 1930s. And that feels very Watchmeny. this idea of like taking like the Justice League, but imagine if they all were like supremely anti-Kryptonian and so they all just like deeply shamed Superman uh, and like w- were, were like totally uncool with the idea that he was an alien. You're talking about the little baby from Action Comics that we uh, we saw a little hint of in this episode? Well, this was a this was a foundational idea for this episode, as Giovanna Depo tells me in our interview, that Superman uh, and the origin story of Superman is very foundational for the Hooded Justice character the escape from Tulsa mirroring the escape from Krypton the message on uh, of, of watch this boy mirroring the way that Jor-El sent Kal-El down down to earth or uh, programmed whatever wisdom I think he probably programmed some wisdom into the capsule I guess I'm outing myself as not being super hip to the Superman mythos right now <laughs> but even the Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross soundtrack has a track that calls orphan that's called orphans of Krypton and it is directly associated with Will and I suppose June as well. I don't want to take my eye off the ball as it pertains to June. I feel like she's probably a very significant character, maybe even more so than we realize at this point. We saw, I think, what was a later version of June. Uh, I is that was that your read at the end of the episode, trying to pull Angela to the other side? Like that—that that was something we we saw on screen there at the very end of the episode. So what's missing, of course, is if June takes Marcus Abar, Angela's father, back to Tulsa. It sounded like what what June said is, "Oh, you know, you you do look just like or whatever," as though maybe she had never met Angela. So I, I do wonder if that's going to be a thing. We we the the episode in general leaves me feeling like we skip so much because we are so in so deep and it's so good. Everything we see with Will Reeves uh, in New York City and we go basically from what I think is the early 40s to the modern day to 2019. We skip all of the 50s. We skip right. all of the 60s, right. 70s, 80s. We don't know what happens to Will Reeves in that time. Uh, and I think the June piece of that is certainly a piece where clearly when she goes back to Tulsa with Marcus, Marcus eventually gives 
birth to Marcus and his wife give birth to Angela, but they're in Vietnam at the time. And the Vietnam makes you wonder, is that where the Lady True connection comes in? And is that where the family got connected to Lady True? Is June involved in that? Were June and Will at some point reunited? All these things I think we have time to fill in now. But there's only three episodes left, right? There's only three episodes left. But if we're thinking about how Dr. Manhattan and Lady True could be associated potentially, right? And we know that now Hooded Justice and Lady True are associated. And we know that Angela Abar was born in Vietnam. Is there a world in which Hooded Justice was in Vietnam and knows Dr. Manhattan through that? And therefore, he and Dr. Manhattan know Lady True. The three of them become connected. There's a lot of questions still up in the air. I, I I would not be surprised in the least if we haven't seen the last of like the younger Will Reeves, the Hooded Justice era Will Reeves. I also want to know, how, like this does not explain at all to me how Hooded Justice is even still alive. <laughs> the fact <laughs> that he's, you know, a, a hundred plus year old man who has the the health of like an 80 year old, you know, is is still unexplained to me. And I, I need that answer. And that's an answer that I'm really looking forward to to getting just a lot. I mean, this was an episode that answered a lot, but still like lobbed up a lot of these questions. Yeah. The missing time that you're talking about is a is a huge piece of that. And I feel like that that certainly pertains to June as well. Well, and we know that Lady True has these biomedical advancements, uh, cloning, uh, fertility, all of these things that involve extending or giving life. Uh, and so is Will Reeves involved in that. You're right. Like there are these question marks to to fill in. And, and I, I just it's hard to see with three episodes. They're going to have to all be really on point. Uh, there's a there's definitely uh, we're operating without a net at this point. But I think ultimately that that they will be. I mean, I, I have no reason to trust that they won't be that we won't bring Adrian Veidt back into the story, that we won't tie what happened with Marcus Abar as a young child and his father, Will Reeves, and Vietnam and all these things together. I think we will head in that direction. And it's certainly, I think, right if you're watching this, wondering how the hell is this all going to come together. Uh, I, you can see the tendrils. You can see the, the spider webs starting to connect here. It's just a matter of doing it over three episodes. It, it, will, it will be fantastic to watch this be executed, for sure, because we, we went so deep with this one episode and went so far into backstory that we didn't really fill in those blanks and that they still exist means that we, we could do another episode just like this to fill them all in. So I, I just, and I don't know how you could do this episode again. It was so well done. Uh, but there definitely do seem to be a lot of question marks still to answer. June is certainly one. What you're highlighting with Will's strength is certainly one. Why Will was in Tulsa targeting Judd Crawford specifically is right. one for me. Uh, there are other ones left on the board. We know for example, the White Knight, where all the cops were shot, Angelo was spared by somebody with the Rorschach. Was that was that the senator at that point? Like, who was that person? We have not answered that yet. What's happening with Looking Glass? Did he make it through? Were they locked in there with them, with him, or was he locked in there with them? We don't know. We don't know any of this stuff. And so it's a lot to do in the last few episodes, for sure. We also have introduced a very important storyline in this episode with the Cyclops, right? With this organization that Will takes on and like single-handedly takes on at one point towards the end of the episode as he uh, he strangles one of his police rivals with the with the telephone cord. Very sloppily at first, I, I, I note, where like it hits him in the chin at first and then he gets him. Really brutal scene, just like unflinchingly, uh, you know, painful to watch. Um, but there's the Cyclops, there's the 
the fact that they have like this uh, the mesmerism technology. Yeah. You know, what like if the, uh, these... it just it just occurred to me? But what if the tower is a giant mesmer device right. and yes. flashes the entire town of Tulsa? Right. Exactly. I think that that is <laughs> that is a very honestly. A, a very legitimate possibility. And I know that we had gotten feedback from somebody who had reached out to you and I, Antonio, to be like, what if the millennium clock, you know, when they describe it, they say it tells time. What if it's that like it's like they like dictate time and dictating time could mean like time's up. You know, like it could mean like time is up for the seventh cavalry. It could be it could mean any number of things, depending on what Lady True's agenda is, depending on who she may want to give the Judd Crawford treatment to. If Will Reeves is in line, that's probably very bad for all the white supremacists in Tulsa. That's probably not going to work out so great for them and would help you to understand why they may be trying to plan some sort of counterinsurgency thing against Lady True and Will Reeves. But I think that that's a, a pretty good theory, Antonio, that we're seeing like the, the projector hypnosis that is in the in the past, but has also carried into the Tulsa of the present day that we know Will is able to use to make Judd hang himself. Can that be writ large to such a degree as the Millennium Clock? And what would the capacity of that be? Would it be just localized to Oklahoma? That feels like, uh, I don't know if that's the best use of a device of that size to just leave it to, to, to Oklahoma and not a, a broader reach, but maybe. I don't know. I like the theory, though. Maybe it's specifically in revenge for Greenwood, right? Like maybe that right. is, if you have if you have Will Reeves coming back and giving the Cyclops symbol uh, to Judd Crawford and making him hang himself, then it's possible that this whole thing being orchestrated in Tulsa was specifically to target the people who had the legacy of what happened in Greenwood because of Will Reeves, because Will Reeves wanted that done. It's, it's at least possible. Uh, shout out, by the way, to Tate Renzenbrink for that tells time question. Great, uh, fantastic. And it, yeah, it is. Uh, it's it's definitely it could. Uh, it really could determine or correct with certainty uh, time. It could dictate it. So we we will see. There is a reason that that tower exists in Oklahoma. I still wonder why Lady True needed the Clark Farm. Speaking of things falling out of the sky and the name Clark, I want to know why she right. needed that farm because very good call. That's something. That's something. We don't know exactly what it is. Uh, it's not necessarily from Action Comics number one, but it is something, and it, it is not something that we have answered yet. Like I said, just like the Angela who who spared Angela of it all, it's just a, a, a it's a question mark that's out there. We are answering a lot of these questions, but we still have plenty to go. And I think this is a show that it seems that unlike some previous Damon Lindelof work, it seems like the questions that it's introduced, it is interested in answering uh, as we saw in this episode. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing how that plays out. What do you make of the fact that there's no Ozymandias story this week? There really, it would have been very hard to imagine how that could have possibly fit in given the scope and the ambition of what was on display in this episode can you imagine a spot where the ozymandias story would have made sense and given the fact that it seems like the ozymandias story the adrian veidt storyline everything with jeremy Irons seems to be taking place each scene is a, a different year right so like we've seen five years of jeremy irons in this place this would have been the sixth we did not see that the last we saw of him he was being placed under arrest by the game warden will whatever happens to him in year six be redundant to the point that we just need to see where he is in year seven in episode seven because he's on 
because he's on lockdown uh, in, <laughs> in over the past couple of years. Yes. Like, what do you expect? He's on the moon uh, station. <laughs> what do you expect from all of that? And were you? Uh, did you have any thoughts of the fact that we didn't get anything this week? I'm still hopeful that that was him in some way, shape, or form that was crashing to the earth on the Clark farm, that he was sent back for some reason. We speculated, of course, uh, that it was Dr. Manhattan who had created the prison. Your gods abandon you. That's the Dr. Manhattan. It could have somehow involved Lady True. I mean, we see that she brought Vietnam to Tulsa. We see the things that she's capable of. Uh, she certainly would be capable of this. She may want Adrian Veidt involved or not involved or want to have him in a certain place. It would have been very difficult to work him into the episode as you're saying and i'm glad that they didn't even though that has been my favorite moment i look forward to it every week uh, when we see how this crazy jeremy iron story what's going to happen this week are there going to be babies in a lake uh, is he going to catapult a bunch of bodies into the sky is he going to literally be on a moon probably of jupiter maybe of mars i'm no astrologer josh uh, or astronomer <laughs> as it turns right. out neither of us are very right. good at this so nope. uh yeah so i don't know uh i i don't think there was a good way to tie him in as you're saying i'm fine if we put him on the back seat i expect we will get more next episode how long will he be imprisoned what will that prison on that planet look like i want to see that at least before we bring him to tulsa but we got to bring him to tulsa at some point yeah i think that that's an inevitability it's just a matter of when i want to see him turning his nose up at tulsa <laughs> like, like this is where i am this is terrible <laughs> like, yeah he's not i, I don't see think him not liking it. it yeah i don't think he's gonna love it what else from this episode before we wrap up the podcast I love the uh, I love the needle drops. I love the use of music in this episode, whether it's the ink spots or just some of the things that that play really throughout the music being uh, weaving its way in and out of scenes. I just thought was so incredible and really the the episode overall was so haunting uh, you said it was real and you're right because so much of that was so visceral we even felt hooded justice's heart beating at one point but it was also so surreal uh, and just so haunting because of the music because of the way the music was a little bit distorted in that you could hear it it was it was period music it was from the time but it was also just a little bit messed up because it was a nostalgia situation because it wasn't a direct experience i also love the use of color in the same way Way. Uh, when we see Lori and Cal coming into the frame, uh, there's a little bit of color peppering into the black and white presentation because this is a, a mix of the worlds. We had color throughout because it was scenes that we had seen as an audience uh, at the beginning of the series. All the stuff with the mother playing the piano, that was almost always colorized. So seeing all the, just the way that was mixed throughout, I thought really, really good uh, in terms of how that played out. It's also... The Hooded Justice story, obviously, they, they, they went a very direct way, whereas the graphic novel leaves it open. Uh, but they stuck true to some of the details of that. There was an affair with Hooded Justice and Captain Metropolis. Do you feel like that fits in the general story? Or, or was that sort of a thing where you felt like because it was in the graphic novel, they didn't want to leave it behind? Well, I think I think it works totally fine for me as far as... It's definitely, I mean, it's definitely from the source material. And, like, of the things that were, like, tangentially, like, thought about of Hooded Justice versus what was concretely known about him. Hollis Mason, the original Night Owl who writes under the hood. I can't remember if it's him who who witnesses it or if it's the comedian or if it's a different character. But there are characters who witness Captain Metropolis and Hooded Justice having sex. So that's like, un unless they're, you know, telling tall tales and just gossiping out of school, which it, I guess it could have just been kind of er erased like that. I, I feel like it, it, doesn't, it doesn't hurt the story at 
at all to incorporate that here. And and I like the idea of Will being somebody who is just like striving for connection in so many different areas and not quite getting it with June, not quite getting it here with Captain Metropolis, like not really feeling like he can fit in anywhere the the various masks that he has to wear uh not just the literal ones but like the societal ones the social ones uh, this was another thing that Giovanna Depo was was really really great in speaking with me about this idea of like this is very real there are people who live like this every single day and i think that being expressed here was pretty powerful so no i i thought it i thought it worked for me and certainly it, it worked well for me as somebody who remembered this aspect of the character from the comic book and it just the fact that captain metropolis turned his nose up at him in in some way saying in private how beautiful he was but saying you have to keep yourself covered at all times and saying oh you you know the race race so relations painful. that's your yeah. thing to stop yeah it's like even though they too would have been persecuted as as a couple as a group that they couldn't have been how they wanted to be there was still a lower rung for hooded justice and hollis holly or hollis uh captain metropolis still put him on that lower rung very clearly and that that was that was that was rough so it worked for me on that level too because it was a thing where even though they were two outcasts uh, and society would have looked down on the two of them together, that Captain Metropolis found a way to separately look down on Hooded Justice was significant to me. Uh, it was also significant to me that Hooded Justice seemed to have thwarted a major plan that would have shipped those movie projection machines, the movie projectors, all over the country, including to my hometown here of Cincinnati, presumably to start some kind of either riot or just to cause unrest among the population that they were targeting. So he stopped a major, major problem from occurring in yeah. a way that I don't I don't think he'll, he'll no one will ever really no one will ever understand what he did there that day for the country, for populations in those cities, for for just general people. He stopped Greenwood from happening uh, because of this control. I, I will say. It's an interesting thing to me that the show clearly presents racism in its truest form in many ways, and we see it throughout so many things that happen. But they're also presenting a lot of things as directly linked to plot or mesmerism or things that aren't, you know, just real enough, uh, that aren't real enough to just be plain old racism. And I, I think that it is that the show has to do a very delicate job there of not linking evil to things that are to that are just magical or mesmerism and instead putting evil right on display as normal, mundane, run of the mill, uh, happening because good people don't stop it, happening because it's in it's just in it's just in, in in everything and it's in our systems and it's in the way we react and it is in people. I, I think it's better that the show presents it that way than saying, oh all the bad things that happen they're a result of some magic thing or uh somebody pulling strings some some super villain pulling all these strings it's much i think more relatable when the evil is right out there in public mundane just commonplace and recognize it on that level which i think the show does um, but it's certainly time, yeah. a very fine line to tread for sure no for sure but i but i think like even the hatching of this plan is representative of that you know like like why why come up with this plan to send these projectors around the country to start race riots other than pure hate you know like just like deep hate being the thing that drives them so even even at its like most comic booky uh with a plot like that it's still being derived from something that is just like a very tragically human characteristic that is just like the evil that we do as a species is still on display but but i think you're right i think like some of the moments that have been um maybe 
I don't know if I, I want to say like less grand, I guess like less, less genre heavy, if that makes more sense. Uh, yes. with like a little less flourish, like the, the, the scene again, to mention the, the scene where Will is, you're, you're in his head and you're being dragged up to the tree and everything was just one of the, one of the most upsetting things I've seen on television in a long time. And Antonio, we've seen <laughs> a lot of upsetting television recently. We have, we've seen, and we've seen extremely well-made television. Peak TV um, is peak TV, even as we end up in valleys as a result of watching it. It is alive and well in in our world. Uh, we've been watching Mr. Robot crushing it, uh, but there have been there have been downsides. Uh, TV is not always easy to watch, and I don't think Watchmen is interested in telling stories that are easy to watch, but it's telling them in such a way that it's so compelling that you can't help but watch, and I think that's the real trick that it's executing uh, in doing so well with the issues that it's confronting. It does doesn't have to be genre heavy, like you're saying, to execute in that way. It doesn't have to be genre heavy to be compelling. It doesn't have to have mesmerism at the core, or it doesn't have to tell time uh, in that way for the story to be compelling. And I think that is the real success of Watchmen for me, for sure. Anything else from this episode before we wrap up? I'm sure there's so much we could get into just in, in a moment by moment, but just generally, like I said, so well constructed, brilliant so episode. well made, just really a brilliant episode of TV. Kudos to everyone involved. Stephen Williams directed the hell out of it. Damon and Cord, you wrote the hell out of it. Everybody acted the hell out of it. This is tremendous. It was it was it was upsetting. It was powerful. There are times where it's funny. It's exciting. It's intense. It's scary. And it's it's really unmasking in so many ways, not just a character, but what this show is about. And it sets us up for a really great end game here as we're moving into a final act, seven, eight, and nine, still in the future, three more episodes of Watchmen. Antonio and I are gonna be here talking about each and every single one of those episodes here on the series, regular podcast. Subscribe to the podcast if you have not done so already. Your ratings and reviews greatly appreciated. Follow us on Twitter. We'll talk to you about Watchmen. I'm at Round Howard. Antonio's at AC Mazzaro. And check out all those articles I mentioned. THR.com slash Watchmen is where all of that can be found. Antonio, anything else? Thank you very much again, Josh, for taking the time and uh, talking to me about this episode this week, because uh, I hope everybody enjoys this as much as we did, and I think they will. All right, everybody. Take care. We'll see you next week.